It's good to be here again this morning, and I bless you for your kindness. It has been a delight to be here among you these last several days. Uh, your hospitality is amazing, and the gifts of your love that have been shown in several ways are a blessing. And I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for the privilege that it has been to, to be among you. And let's remember to pray for each other. Uh, I've been encouraged by your congregation and the faithfulness that I see here. And I know that God is doing a work among you. And God is doing a work from this place that uh, will have an impact in his kingdom in this time in which we live. Thank you for the song that was selected. It's Jesus Christ. I, that came from somewhere over here. Uh, let me explain what why that song impacted me this morning. I, uh, I couldn't sing all the words. I suddenly had a great wave of homesickness. Um, this song, It's Jesus Christ, is one of my son Grant's favorite songs. And in his nine-year-old voice, he, uh, he, he sings the bass quite well. And he often sings with, with a coat hanger in each hand, beating time. And uh, sometimes his daddy helps him sing that song. And as I was thinking about that, I realized how much I miss my family, and I'm looking forward to seeing them again. So God is, God is bringing us together, and I'm looking forward to the time that we will have a homecoming. But as I considered the words of that song, it's because of Jesus Christ that we can have fellowship one with another. So praise him today. For the message this morning, I will be in 1 Corinthians 11. As Brother Alvin read those verses, I am sure you are there with me as well. During a recent, the recent funeral of Queen Elizabeth in London, if you watched any footage of that or saw pictures of that, you would have noticed that all the royal ladies wore, wore hats all the way down to little Princess Charlotte. I think she's seven years old. Even First Lady Jill Biden had a ribbon or a little hat or a scarf on her head. Social experts are sometimes at a loss to explain why the tradition of hat wearing among ladies for formal gatherings is still something that is done in 2022. But I just asked this morning, could it be that it's because that for 19 centuries, women living in countries that were influenced by the spread of Christianity, whether they themselves were Christians or not, wore head coverings or veilings? And that would include Western Europe, where I live, and the United States, where you live. It's only been in the last 60 to 70 years that this practice has been quickly de-escalating and has been ceasing. And I suppose in the, in the vacuum of that, uh, it's still in vogue for people in formal occasions to wear fancy hats. I titled the message this morning, For This Reason, and I, I take that from the New King James, verse 10, For This Cause is how we read it in our King James 
we use the New King James as our standard uh, Bible translation at our church. So I, I titled this message for this reason. And I, I had preached a series of messages upon request at the church that I'm a pastor of. Um, I gave a few sermons on the subject of the head covering. We have ladies and girls it, at church who are not yet members and who are for the first time in their lives uh, seeing this from the scripture, and we're amazed at God's work. Uh, I'm sometimes just just baffled, actually, because I, uh, it's not that we have an extensive teaching program on this, uh, but people were asking questions, and so we did some teaching, and um, I would like to share some of that with you this morning. I'm actually delivering, taking back with me a, a package, and that package contains some some high-quality Lancaster County made veilings uh, that uh, were, were requested, and so I'm taking those back. So thank you for that. I'd like to tell you about our sister Susie, a sister in our congregation, a young mother who with her husband came to the Lord several years ago from a, a very dark place, and uh, the expression on their faces and the testimony of their lives show that Jesus Christ is real and has made a difference in their lives. So she talked about the time when she first started wearing a veiling and uh, what would go into the Tesco supermarket. And she would be the only lady in that store and per perhaps the only lady in, in the town and maybe in her county at that time that was wearing a veiling. And she talked about how conspicuous she felt doing that. Now, a year or two later, this is more recent, she was talking to another woman who has been attending our church. And this woman has teenage daughters who uh, began to wear veilings like the veilings of our young ladies there. And, of course, I think it's, believe it or not, it's easier sometimes for young people to make those changes. This, this mother, she's in her 40s and... Um, she had not worn a veiling all her life, and so this was a difficult thing, but uh, you can see the tension there. She's wanting to serve the Lord, and her daughters are wearing veilings, and she's not wearing one. So she had a con she, this woman had a conversation with Sister Susie, and in that conversation, Susie, or from that conversation, Susie later gave her a little, little bag, a little gift bag, and in that bag was a little, was a veiling with a little note. And the note said, in God's timing. And it didn't take God's timing very long. Sister Susie was an encouragement as a first generation believer. Now she's influenced others, another one, to take on this biblical practice. This morning, this is not a message only to ladies, far from it. Um, I, what I shared at our home congregation is what I'm sharing with you this morning. And I want to tell you as ladies that when you acknowledge the God-given gift of femininity and you express it by your attitudes, your words, and your deeds, that is indeed a very beautiful thing. I know that ladies who wear veilings or coverings uh, care deeply about what you're wearing and um, how you wear that, that's important to you, and I just want to acknowledge that. 
So we know that in the Western world that this practice has been lost. Uh, it's interesting, we, we do have some people uh, who we know and who attend our church who come from an Eastern culture. And while they perhaps would not wear, uh, would not veil their heads during the week, they would wear a veiling on Sunday or whenever they come to the worship service. Um, we have some uh, who are considering membership and they're realizing the importance of wearing a veiling all the time. It's fair to say, though, that, and I believe you would agree with me, I want to qualify the message by this, that, that some women who do not practice 1 Corinthians 13 do not do so out of rebellion. But it's just a reflection of the culture uh, of our day and how that culture has crept in and how that culture has influenced the church. I know women who do not wear veilings, who do not wear coverings, um, and yet have the attitude that uh, this is to symbolize. So I will say that God is the judge. Let God be the judge. We don't, we're not called to condemn people, uh, whether someone does not wear a veiling because of ignorance or uh, out of rebellion or just uh, maybe deception. We, we, we can't always understand that. But let's just recognize that we're called to live and preach and teach and exemplify the truth the way we understand it unapologetically and um, let our light shine like we heard this morning. So this morning at about 4 a.m. I had a little argument with God, and I'm sorry for that, um, because I had preached that what I'm going to speak on this morning over a series of two uh, sermons, and I realized even at my home congregation, it felt like there were a lot of loose ends that just didn't get, didn't get uh, filled in. And I thought, God, you know, I am, I am perfectly fine with the time that I've been given here this morning. I want to be faithful in using that time wisely, but there's just no way that I can compress everything that I would like to say in the amount of time. And surely, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, but uh, isn't there an easier, isn't there a simpler sermon that I could preach this morning? And it just came back to me, no, this is what I want you to, to share on this morning. So I apologize for the argument with God. Um, but I've just come to the conclusion that though I was not able to, even in two sermons, I was not able to exhaust the subject. I won't be able to do that this morning in the few minutes that we have together. But my goal would be that uh, this would open an opportunity for you as a congregation to dialogue about this subject. Maybe it's a mother and a daughter, or maybe it's among the pastor team. There will be opportunities and forums for engagement about this. And so I just I pray that that would take place. And to help keep me on track, I had, I had made a, a handout of my notes that I distributed to our congregation. And so I have a few of those copies available. I'll put them on the table down below. And if you're interested in that, uh, and if you may take one and maybe make more copies, I have uh, 12 copies that I, uh, I have for you today. But this is my outline for the scripture that Brother Alvin read this morning from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 16. And, um, of course, some of this would apply more to our church at, at Dunmore East, uh, some of the practical things, and uh, also some of the questions. There were some questions that came in that I typed uh, on the back as well, some things that people were interested in. So 
if you would like to use it for any benefit, you may do that. And this will also help me because I'm, I'm planning to finish when it's time. I have, I have seven points this morning from this portion of Scripture. I realize that I will not cover all those seven points. I don't intend to do that uh, in, in depth. But I want to be faithful to, to speak and speak wisely or use my time wisely this morning. So I've titled this For This Reason, and I have seven reasons, actually, that we are called to worship God as men with our heads uncovered, and we're called to worship God and serve God as ladies with a covering, a veiling on our heads or on our hair. And these are the seven because of God's divine plan of authority from verses 1 to 3, because of God's requirement of a symbol, verses 4 through 6 and verse 15, because of God's order of creation, verses 7 through 9 and verse 11, because of the angels, verse 10, because of our God-given sense of propriety, verse 13, because of what nature teaches us, verses 14 and 15, and because of the apostolic and historical practice of the church, verse 16. And those seven I have lined out on my little uh, handout of, that, I, that I wrote. So this morning I'd like for us to consider, I believe one of the most important things is God's divine plan of authority. For this reason, we believe in the importance of covered and uncovered heads. Let's look at God's divine plan of authority. It's also referred to as the headship order. I don't think it's hard to understand what verse 3 means. Head means authority. In this messed up world in which we live, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 is not an easy verse to accept or to understand, but it's true. It's God's word. It's not Anthony. It's not Paul. It's the word of God. Let's explore this a little further. Let's look at the relationship. Um, maybe let's just think of it in this way. Sometimes we, we look at God with an arrow, Jesus with an arrow, man with an arrow, woman with an arrow. And there is, there's, there's a way that that can be uh, described and defined as we look at the way that got the authority flows from God. But let's think of it this way a little bit morning, this morning. I think Junior Lapp helped me with this one, uh, where we have God... And Jesus Christ, this is in, in his commentary. And then below that, we have man and woman. And um, God and Jesus Christ are divine. Man and woman are not divine. But we can learn from the example of the, of the headship of, and the order between God and Christ. So in value and equality, God the Father and God the Son are completely equal. They're the same. But in their roles and in their functions, as we know, they're very different. But God's divine order, his authority, brings these things together and makes the relationship between God the Father and God the Son work in a very perfect and very orderly way for the glory of God and for our good. God has never used his position as the head of Christ to harm him Instead, he exalts Jesus Christ highly above all. And Jesus Christ, 
for his part, has never rebelled against the authority of God's headship. Instead, he works with God, cooperates with God by always doing his will. That's what he said in John. He always, he always does the will of his Father. And the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is a very good model for the relationship that we must have as man and woman. So that's a little bit about God's divine plan of authority. I'd like to talk about another reason because of God's requirement of a symbol. This is from verses 4 through 6 and also verse 15. Symbols communicate a truth. God uses symbols to help us remember and to help other people learn. And there are symbols all throughout the Bible. There, there will be another symbol found later on in this same chapter, the, the, the bread and the, the fruit of the vine, is, is symbolizing the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. God requires us to use symbols. Uh, you'll soon be studying in your Sunday school about the symbol of the blood that was put on the doorposts. God uses symbols to help us learn lessons and to show other people what truth is. So what is the symbol here? Man is the representative of the entire human race. who is cre- He's been created in the image of God. And because he's been cre- created in the image of God, he worships God with an uncovered head. Matthew Henry says it this way. He uncovers his head to symbolize God's unveiled glory. So it's not like man is in any special role. Man is just a representative of, of the entire human race, but that's his, that's his particular function to represent God's unveiled glory. Now, what about woman? Why is she called to wear a veiling? Well, in 1739, Charles Wesley penned this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And there is a phrase in that song that I think is one of the most significant statements that could be made about God's plan to redeem mankind by sending one of the members of the Godhead to earth. And this is the the phrase, veiled in flesh, the Godhead seed. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead seed. Think about Isaiah's vision of the Lord in Isaiah 6. And think about John's vision of the Lord in, in the Revelation. In both of those places, it was a vision, but it was the unveiled glory of Jesus Christ. And it was awesome. They fell at their feet. It was too glorious to behold. But when Jesus came to earth, Isaiah says, He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. The same Jesus who created the lakes and the rivers asked for a drink of water. He is omnipresent. His throne was the expanse of the heavens, and yet he chose to limit himself to a certain place and a certain time when he lived on the earth. You see how he veiled his glory. Now John says we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. But there was a part of the glory of Jesus Christ, a big part of the glory of Jesus Christ that needed to be veiled. 
in order for us to be able to see him and to receive him. So while man worships God and serves him with an uncovered head, woman, remember my headship, God, Christ, man, woman. Woman does something very similar to Christ. She has power, she has beauty, she has glory, and that is represented by her hair. So just as verse 1, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, just as we're told to do there, woman is going to figuratively, yes, but also literally, take that which is her glory, her hair, and veil it. And there again, it's because of the grand purposes of God that he wants to do in the world. In the same way that Jesus did the Father's will in the world with his veiled glory. It's a symbol of that. And ironically, this symbol gives her authority. We see that in verse 10. It's power on her head. It's the power to be effective in prayer and prophesying. It's the, it's the power, it's authority. One of the ladies at our church struggled with 1 Corinthians 11. But they, they were praying for a house. They were praying desperately because it looked like the, the house that they were renting was going to be pulled out from under them. And they had nowhere to go. One of my friends, also a believer who's come to the Anabaptist from another place, talked to this couple and said, look, you're praying for a house. You really believe that God will answer your prayers? Then be obedient to him. Put power on your head. And uh, that was an encouragement to her. That was what it took as she continued praying with a veiled, now with a veiled head. And God, I believe, is answering their prayers as we speak. Now the question comes, is God asking for a covering made of material like you ladies wear? And by the way, when I preached this at our congregation, there were ladies sitting there with cut hair and uh, no veilings. Uh, but they were very gracious, and I, I blessed them for that. But is God asking for a covering made of material like verses 4, 5, and 6 seem to indicate very clearly? Or does verse 15 prove that a woman's long hair is her covering? It does say in verse 15, But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Now in my thinking this through, it seems like some people would rather uh, just kind of eliminate verses 4, 5, and, or at least verses 5 and 6 from 1 Corinthians 11. And there would be other people that would just kind of like to cut out verse 15. But we need to deal with both. Uh, what does that really mean? What does it, what does it mean? Well, one thing for me, it's, and this is true for any scripture, we, 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 we want to always go to that which is clear and easy to understand and let that help us to uh, 
to put light on that which is more obscure and more difficult to understand. So by doing that, if we would conclude that verse 15 does actually mean that the woman's long hair is a covering, her covering, that is what uh, verses 5 and 6 are asking for, then this is how it might read, something like this, and this would be verse 5, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with, and what is the opposite of long hair but short hair, with short hair or a shaved head, dishonoreth her head, for that is all even one as if she were to get out her razor or her shears and cut or shave her head. It would be, uh, grammatically, that would be kind of a stretch to put that in there, and I suppose also logically that wouldn't quite make sense. Dale Martin, who is not a Mennonite, but he's actually an agnostic, he is the professor of religious studies at Yale, Yale, and he mocks Christianity, but uh, how could that be, a professor of religious studies that mocks Christianity, but that's him. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul insists that women who pray and prophesy in the Christian assemblies wear veils, and he has done a lot of study in Greek, so I will trust him in that regard. Uh, One way that we, I think, can understand this scripture, rather than trying to impose our own ideas on it, how can we reconcile verses 4, 5, and 6 with verse 15? Is it possible that Paul is talking about two different coverings? I I give that as a possibility that I think is, is so. In verse 15, the word there is a word that's not used too often. When it talks about her covering, it's something that is clearly something natural that is cast down and is flowing like, like her hair and her long hair. Your long hair is glorious, ladies. It is your glorious natural covering. And the word that is used in the other places in, in chapter 11 is a, is a totally different word. It, has a, it's, it means to, to cover, to conceal, to hide. And the way I think, the way I, w- I can explain this is that while a woman has a natural covering that is glorious and beautiful, in obedience to Christ and his word, she puts up that natural, glorious, and beautiful covering and puts a material covering on it to veil the glory of her natural covering. It's interesting that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, we often find two veilings in the tabernacle and in the temple. That would be something interesting to explore. Uh, There's one veiling, the inner veiling, or the outer, and then the inner veiling. Uh, So that wouldn't be stretching this too far. But anyway, it seems clear enough from God's instructions about a symbol that men are to worship with uncovered heads and the hair that they have visible, but women are to worship with a covered head and having their long hair being concealed. And one more word about a symbol, lest we think that this is only a symbol and therefore size doesn't matter what if, what if at your next communion service you would have a tweezers up here and your, uh, your pastors would serve the bread the, as, as, as small of a crumb as possible? Would that be acceptable to you? And they would put it into your, the palm of your hand with the tweezers. Um, you would say something is the matter. What about the doorposts that were covered in blood where, where the angel uh, was to pass over the, that if... if a particular family would have been squeamish and said, let's just put a little, little drop of blood on the, on the 
far, as far away from the edge of the door as we can just to make sure that it's there. You understand the heart and the spirit of that. Um, I think the size of our faith will also determine the size of our obedience. Um, thirdly, God's order in creation. And I just will say this. It's a blessing that man is not... Uh, man is dependent on woman. Man did not come from woman. Woman came from man. Man was not created for woman. Woman was created for man. Though man came from... Though woman came from man, man is now born from woman. We are interdependent. And this is a great mystery. And it's very true what Paul says, and I think you men will agree, that woman is the glory of man. Because of the angels is another one. I talked about this the other evening. What do you think this means? Well, there could be a lot. Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't have the awareness of angels as we should. Angels are there to watch for our protection. Um, I talked the other evening a little bit about the, how the angels benefit from seeing what takes place among God's people here on the earth. And who are we to say that um, something that has been practiced for many, many, many years, for centuries, and God is using this to teach angels, it appears, uh, we don't know what all is happening there, but God is using this for the, the benefit of the angels. Who are we to say, well, God, you're going to need to use another object lesson now. Um, that would seem brazen, wouldn't it? Because of our God-given sense of propriety, uh, I take that from verse 13. Judge among yourselves, judge in yourselves. Uh, that's a plural as well. And I believe God has given the church and the brotherhood uh, opportunities and the actually the call to talk about these things among us and there you know we might not all come out at the same places as different churches but that's our call uh, this is a mutual decision the combined voice of the body of Christ is very valuable so talk about that uh, talk about these things among yourselves and because of what nature teaches us we see that in verse 14 and 15 these verses have puzzled me for many years uh, because whenever I read these verses, I always thought of a lion and a lioness. And I thought, you know, they're examples of nature. And you see a lion, he's got a big mane. Uh, and you see uh, a female lion, and, and she doesn't. And so how can this be? Well, verse 14 is not talking about animals when it says, does not even nature itself teach you. Instead of uh, looking at animals, I should have looked around the table at the Miller family reunions. And uh, I would have realized that my grandfather... My dad and every, every one of my uncles over the age of 30 was, was balding. And when I was, and Rhoda would have the proof of that when I was 9 or 10 years old, I had a thick head of hair. What happened? Women are created with the ability to grow their hair longer and to keep their natural hair for a longer time than men. And nature teaches that women have long hair. I don't know, the Beatles would be an example of some people who tried to argue against nature, and we can kind of smile and chuckle at that. Now, that was a, something in the, in the 1960s. 
But they were the beginning of a wa the wave of the Cultural Revolution, and it, the rebellion of what they were doing was uh, characterized by long hair. I think one or two of the members of the Beatles are still alive, and it's interesting if you look at their pictures. Uh, God wins in the end. We can rebel against God's plan, but you know, for a 70 or 80-year-old man to have long hair uh, when he's kind of balding, it, it doesn't really work. So it is a shame for a man to have long hair, and it's the glory of a woman. And then it is and it has been the apostolic practice of the church. Paul says this is the custom in the churches of God, and the NIV actually, uh, believe it or not, makes it stronger than the King James or many other versions and the NIV says, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. This letter, 1 Corinthians, was for the benefit of all believers. Uh, it was for the Corinthian Christians, and then it was for other churches in Antioch, in Ephesus, and Jerusalem. And they were be all being taught this revolutionary teaching. And I should just remind you that it was revolutionary. Imagine a Jewish man having worn the, what do they call those, the kippah? all his life, when he went to the synagogue. And now he is being asked to take that off and to worship God with an uncovered head. It was revolutionary for men as much as it was for ladies. R.C. Sproul, who lived in this country and observed many things, he was a theologian that, he, I believe he died a number of years ago, but he says this, the wearing of fabric head coverings in worship was universally the practice of Christian women until the 20th century. What happened? Did we suddenly find some biblical truth to which the saints for thousands of years were blind? I hope this has been a challenge to you. It's, it feels like we, uh, we raced through it. And um, I hope that you were able to think or have something to think about that will help you as uh, you build these convictions, this conviction among your congregation here. And I would just like to close with reminding you of the glorious wonder of men and women together from all places and all churches, no matter what side of the Atlantic that they're on, who can come together and worship God in this way. 2 Corinthians 3.18 but we all, with open face, this is an unveiled face, we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. May God richly bless you, and may we be changed from glory to glory as by God's Spirit. Let's pray. Let's kneel to pray.